Today on Motley Fool Money, Microsoft's biggest acquisition ever makes it clear the company is gearing up in the battle for metaverse supremacy. That and more coming up right now. I'm Chris Hill, joined by Motley Fool senior analyst Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. We've also got the latest on retail, financials, and the team from Motley Fool Answers is going to help you keep your New Year's resolutions on track. But let's start with Microsoft's biggest acquisition ever. The software giant is buying Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion in cash. The deal is expected to close in 2023, at which point Microsoft will become the third largest gaming company by revenue. There are a few things to get to here, Jason, but first and foremost, this seems like a shot across the bow at Meta Platforms. Oh, it's a shot, Chris. It's a big shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is an attention getter for sure. The the year uh, is just underway, and here we go. Largest acquisition in Microsoft's history. Uh, and frankly, I do get the allure. I think there is plenty of potential for this to work. Given the market opportunity in gaming, uh, we heard Nvidia recently here at CES 2022. They called it out as a 300 billion dollar all-in market. You got three billion people around the world actively playing games today, and and Microsoft quoted in the in the call they expect this number to reach four and a half billion by 2030. And so I think. The neat thing about this deal, it really is something that plays into a strength of Microsoft's. This is a very complementary deal that doesn't really possess a lot of overlap, and I think that's that's something that's something important to consider because I mean, obviously, Microsoft has a very big gaming business on its own. A lot of success there with Xbox, a lot of success with Game Pass, now crossing 25 million subscribers, and for for Microsoft. Microsoft management, they see this deal. Ultimately, it gives them that that entryway into to more more gaming that's going to span all platforms, so mobile, PC, console, and cloud. And of course, Chris, they they had to throw the M word in there. That's right, the metaverse. <laughs> this is going to provide the building blocks for that metaverse. Uh, but I, I think honestly, as wide reaching as this deal is, I think it's pretty. I think it's compelling from a mobile perspective. I think this is honestly. This may be the biggest mobile opportunity for Microsoft to date, given its shortcomings to this point in regard to the hardware. Right? They they never they never were able to really make the phone thing work. This is going to give them a massive opportunity in mobile, which I, I think is something we shouldn't overlook. Before we focus on Microsoft for a second here, when you zoom out and look at the gaming industry and some of the stats you just provided. Is gaming now one of those industries that investors who have a portfolio of 20 to 30 stocks, do investors need to look at their portfolios and ask, where is the gaming in my portfolio? Because it seems like <laughs> if the industry is not there, if it is not in the must-have category, it's getting there pretty quickly, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like you know we've we've had this conversation before in regard to travel and and I think it absolutely makes sense for investors to look at their portfolio and say, "Well, how 
how am I getting that gaming exposure? I mean, you look at Activision Blizzard. That's, I mean, Activision Blizzard. It's a it's a popular holding uh, through the years with with a lot of our listeners and subscribers. Obviously, a company that has witnessed some some uh, some turmoil here lately uh, that we can get into if we need. But um, ultimately, I, I feel like you've got Activision Blizzard coming at this with 400 million. Players, 400 million players of, of all of their of all of their games and platforms across the globe. You've got Microsoft here uh, just reporting that their gaming revenue just exceeded 15 billion dollars for the year last year, grew 33 percent as they saw record engagement with nearly 33 billion hours played across their Xbox platform, that Game Pass platform. Everything that they've got combined there, uh, to me. It it absolutely makes a lot of sense for investors to look and see how they're getting that exposure because it really feels like, again, given given where management sees this going, it, it really does feel like a market opportunity. Even even though it's really big today, feels like a market opportunity still with a lot of growth to be had. Let's talk about the turmoil for a second because the Wall Street Journal had a story on Sunday about how. Activision Blizzard over the past six months has fired nearly 40 employees, disciplined another 40 on top of that to address the charges inside the company of misconduct, sexual harassment. Um, Bobby Kotick, the CEO, was on CNBC this morning along with Phil Spencer, who's the head of gaming at Microsoft. Um, they, you know, Kotick got the question, the you know, the correct and obvious question. Is is this deal at this time with Microsoft due in part to what's been going on, the allegations um, at your company um, about sexual harassment, uh, problems with the culture? And Kotick gave the answer that I thought he would give, which is essentially no. It has nothing to do with that, and we're we're working harder in our culture. Um, but I, I don't know, Jason. I uh, what? Uh, I guess the. Um, the polite way to put it is, I just don't believe him because I think <laughs> if shares of Activision Blizzard aren't cut in half over the past 12 months, Bobby Kotick is not as receptive to a conversation about his company being acquired. I, I think I think you're probably right. I mean, the the numbers don't really paint the picture of a company that's been killing it over the last few years, right? The stock up uh, 38% over the last three years. The market has doubled that output. Uh, $95 per share, all cash. That puts the business at 28 times trailing earnings, around 25 times uh, trailing free cash flow. Uh, and when you look at Activision Blizzard's growth over the last three years during that same Stock performance, you got 8% annualized revenue growth over the last three years. And that revenue growth has been lumpy at times. And I think part of that really does have to do with cultural issues that really came to a head here over the last over the last year plus. So I think that I'm with you. That's the answer I would expect Mr. Kodit to give. Now, by the same token, I feel like it puts uh, Activision Blizzard in a little bit of a defensive position. I'm sure they look at this acquisition uh, from Microsoft and they think, "Oh, wow, this is this is pretty good timing. This kind of gets us off the radar. Maybe we can kind of get back to to focusing on the business at hand." Because I mean, I think the really neat thing when you combine Microsoft together with Activision Blizzard, you know, Microsoft, I think probably most people know of their gaming business just via the Xbox brand, uh, which is fair. It's also worth remembering, though, that Xbox, that hardware, really serves as kind of the razor and that razor and blade model, right? They sell that Xbox essentially 
to just to break even. I mean, I think technically, really, they sell it at a loss. Uh, but it, it's it's simply meant to get that to get that device in people's homes so that they continue to pay for that subscription to those Microsoft gaming services. This really builds up that portfolio of services now that they can bring Activision Blizzard and all of those properties under their umbrella. Uh, so to me, like this, you know, that that's really fascinating if you think about it. Again, going back to that mobile opportunity, I mean, this expands that opportunity tremendously because now. Now it's not just the Xbox that the Razer, but but given the mobile opportunity, it's the smartphone that's in everyone's pockets that represents uh, the opportunity as well. Uh, and so I think you couple that together with the fact that Activision Blizzard is they're in a bit of a defensive posture today. Uh, I think it really. I have to believe that Mr. Kodak thought, yeah, this is just the perfect time. Let's do this. Um, and now the question really remains is what is Bobby Kodak's role with this business going forward? Because yes, the headline says he'll remain the CEO of Activision Blizzard, but you know, you read down into the to the actual report there and you realize that he's gonna be reporting to Mr. Spencer, right, the CEO of Microsoft Gaming. That begs the question, are uh, Mr. Kodak's days at Microsoft numbered? I tend to believe yes. I mean, who knows? Uh, but but regardless, I think this takes uh, Activision out of the the spotlight that they they didn't really want to be in. Uh, last thing before we move on, you got to tip your hat to the way Microsoft executes acquisitions. Uh, acquisitions. I mean, they're they're pretty opportunistic. You think about when they bought LinkedIn back in 2016 after LinkedIn had took a hit, and look. I remember we talked about that acquisition at the time, and we were all sort of looking at each other like, "What are they going to do with LinkedIn?" And you know, they—it's not a question of the money. They have the money. They can buy whatever they want, and they were able to make that work. So if they can make LinkedIn work, you got to feel good if you're a Microsoft shareholder. You couldn't have said that. That was very diplomatically put, Chris. And I I agree with you because, man, I'll tell you, every time I check LinkedIn out, I wonder immediately why did I just check LinkedIn out? It to me is just a, it's it's just, it's not a very good experience. I don't understand how it hasn't really gotten better over these, over these years. But the fact of the matter is that Microsoft has made that work. I mean, it is, it is a moneymaker for that business. So I think that really points to the power of the network. So when you consider that network, when you consider the market opportunity and Gaming, would you consider the fact that Microsoft apparently can spin gold out of virtually anything these days with Mr. Nadella leading the way? I gotta like their chances with this deal. Shares of the Gap down 7% this morning after the apparel retailer got a downgrade from one Wall Street analyst. The report outlined expectations that margins for the Gap are gonna get worse, which, I mean, just ponder that for a second. Um, I don't know what you do with the gap here. I I, I really don't. I'm sure there are some investors looking at this saying, hey, look, this is a a solid brand, and it is. They got Banana Republic. They have uh, Athleta. Uh, There's value there, and you can buy it at a discount. But this seems like one of those times where don't, don't buy on the dip. Just, just don't buy on the dip. There are too many question marks. They're still in the process of closing hundreds of stores as part of that announcement they made back in 2020. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if you're looking for a company that can handle inflationary times, 
but exercising pricing power, well, Chris, I'm going to tell you to keep looking because the gap ain't it, and and I don't think that's going to be something they're going to be able to to handle uh, here over the over the coming quarters either. I think uh, we're going to continue to hear this this uh, this discussion of inflation and how it's impacting the consumer in 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 you know myriad ways uh, when it comes to fashion retail. Uh, a notoriously difficult market in in the in the easiest of times. I mean, this is not the easiest of times, and so I think that when you look at something like it, yes, you're right. They've got some tremendous brands under their umbrella. I mean, you've got Gap, you've got Old Navy, and Banana Republic, Athleta. I mean, there are a lot of different ways for them to win, but I do agree. I think it is a business that is beholden to promotions and discounts. It is a business that is beholden. To input costs, particularly on the cotton side, which I don't know how often investors really think about that stuff, but it just it took me back to 2012, I think, when we were doing um, a real money initiative here at the Motley Fool, uh, where we were as analysts were able to run our own real money portfolios that were public facing, and I and I had. I had Invested, I'd recommended Gap as a value investment, right? And in my argument was that there was a ton of pessimism because they had locked in these higher cotton prices, and those were flowing through the financials, really impacting margins. But that at some point that would run off, and profitability would come back. That worked. I sold, you know, for a modest gain. It was a fun value investment to make because it worked. Value investing is difficult because you got to get it right on both sides, right? You got to buy at the right price and sell at the right price. So I don't know that I would look at Gap as a value. Value trap. I do think it's strong enough of a business where there probably is a value thesis there. But I agree with you. I don't think we're there yet. I would be very, very cautious with this one. Fourth quarter revenue for Goldman Sachs came in higher than expected. Investment banking revenue was up 45% year over year, but shares of Goldman Sachs down 8% this morning. What's going on here? <laughs> I mean, was it was it that bad? It's, I, I get that even with the drop today, shares of Goldman Sachs are up around twenty percent over the past twelve months. But uh, this seems like a stronger reaction than I would have expected for what is on the surface a mixed quarter. Uh, Probably, I mean, you know, you know how the the, the knee jerk reactions of, of uh, Wall Street are, though, and and when you miss expectations, those those questions come up. And, and remember, Goldman too. It's a little bit different than the banks we were talking about last week, and Wells and Citi and J P Morgan, because Goldman is very much much more an investment bank as opposed to a bank that necessarily benefits from the consumer like a Wells or a JP Morgan would. So I think on on the whole it was not a bad quarter. I mean net revenue for the quarter 12.6 billion dollars. That was up um, 8% from a year ago. So not lighting the world on fire. It looked like uh, investment banking revenue, like you noted, was the star. Uh, that, that revenue, $3.8 billion, you saw uh, investment banking 45% uh, higher than, than a year ago. Um, but, but again, because they are tied to that asset management, wealth management, um, it, it, it can make performance a little bit lumpy. I think also you're looking at a bank here that is going to be a bit more exposed to uh, the cost of talent. And if you remember a theme late last week when we were talking about those other banks, um, and Jamie Dimon noticed that, noted, noted this in JP Morgan's uh, results. 
that um, they were paying up for talent, right? I mean, wage inflation was real. Uh, incentives uh, had to be ramped up in order to to get the best talent. And, and I think you could argue that, given the nature of Goldman's business, they probably are a little bit more exposed to this. Probably have to pay a little bit more for talent because of the the the, the nature of the job at investment banking. And, and that really played out on operating expenses for the business. They were 23% higher than a year ago. Uh, but I mean, they grew book value 20%, uh, better than 20%. Now it stands at $284, just a little over $284 per share. Uh, that prices the stock around 1.2 times book value today. And for a, a business that has returned uh, close to 90% uh, over the last three years, it feels like this could be. Uh, a decent window of opportunity for people who are interested in a business like this. So basically, it's the opposite of the gap. Both stocks down <laughs> around seven, eight percent, but one of them looks like a buying opportunity. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to let you guess which one, but I have a, I have a feeling our listeners have been paying attention. <laughs> um, speaking of banks, before I let you go, you are coming back on Thursday with your longtime partner in crime, Matt Franco. What are you guys going to be talking about? Yeah, yeah, looking forward to a little reunion there of sorts. We're going to be talking about a company in the financial space that IPO'd less than two years ago. Uh, to say it fits in that fintech category, I'd say is an apt description. So we'll enjoy digging a little more into uh, that particular business that is uh, uh, to be named later. Uh, we know it, but we're not going to tell you till the show, Chris. Uh, <laughs> but hopefully, we'll be able to dig into it a little bit more and the understanding of the uh, the potential opportunity for investors. Sounds good. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. It's mid-January, so how are those New Year's resolutions going? You know, the goals you set to get in shape and do better with money? With some actionable ways to help you stay on track, here's Robert Brokamp and Allison Southwick. The connection between health and wealth goes beyond rhyming. Good health helps you build wealth, and wealth, in turn, can help you stay healthy. It's a well-documented but often overlooked virtuous circle that we hope will motivate you to think twice about taking care of yourself in 2022. After all, it's still January, and visions of resolutions are you know, likely dancing still in your head. And survey after survey, year after year, shows that the most popular resolutions focus on waistlines or bottom lines. So, if you're hoping to get into better physical or fiscal shape in 2022, we have good news for you. Improving one might lead to improvements in the other. So, consider the findings of a report from the Urban Institute entitled, How Are Income and Wealth Linked to Health and Longevity? And the report concludes that as annual household income increases, the percentage of adults suffering from various health impairments decreases. So, we're talking heart disease, stroke, arthritis, hearing trouble, vision trouble, you name it. The higher a household's income, the lower the incidence of these chronic diseases. And here's more proof. A 2018 Washington Post article by Christopher Ingraham looked at federal guidelines for exercise, which are that adults should perform at least 150 minutes of moderate physical activity or 75 minutes of vigorous physical activity each week. And they should also do some muscle strengthening activity like calisthenics or lifting weights at least twice a week. And what he found was the states with the lowest percentage of adults who met that criteria also tended to have lower median incomes, with the lowest being Mississippi. And states with the higher percentages of adults who exercise had higher median incomes, with the highest being Colorado. 
So does wealth beget health or does health beget wealth? The chicken or the egg? Well, the answer is yes. Health can chip into your wealth or full-on decimate it, and wealth can lead to improved health. Both impact the other in multiple and not always so obvious ways. Yeah, so here are just three of the many ways that eating an apple a day can keep the debt collector away or something like that. So number one, people who are healthier are more productive, and people who experience health problems are more likely to miss work, be stressed, or succumb to something called presenteeism. So basically, you're working, but you're just not on top of your game. Uh, number two, health problems can get expensive. And the more money you're spending on copays and drugs and artificial whatevers, the less money you have to save and invest. And number three, one of the biggest reasons that people retire earlier than planned is poor health. And people who retire earlier than planned have fewer years to contribute to their 401ks, smaller social security benefits, and their nest eggs must be spread over a longer period. Okay, so bad health can impact your wealth, but how does wealth impact your health? Well, there are many ways here too, but I'll just point out four. Number one, wealthier people are more likely to have jobs with higher quality health insurance, paid sick leave, and employer-provided wellness programs. Uh, they're also more able to pay for health interventions and less likely to put off medical services due to financial concerns. Number two, wealthier people are more likely to be able to afford gym memberships, personal trainers, healthier food, and other products and services that are associated with better health. Number three, financial difficulties cause stress, and stress can in turn affect your health. And obviously, the more money you have, the less likely you'll experience money-related problems. And number four, higher-paying occupations tend to rely more on brain than brawn, thus result in less bodily wear and tear. The most physically demanding jobs, you know, things like construction, landscaping, factory work, they generally pay average or below-average incomes. The equation for building wealth is somewhat straightforward. Earn good money, spend wisely, invest the rest for the long term. Maintaining good health is more complicated. I mean, after all, even a marathon runner can get cancer, but that's no excuse to avoid exercise and eat right. According to the Boston Foundation and the New England Healthcare Institute, you can blame or thank genetics for about 20% of your state of health. Half is the result of your behaviors. Yeah, we do have some control over our health. A 2015 study published by the journal Progress in Cardiovascular Diseases, always a fun read, found that more than 11% of healthcare costs are due to inactivity alone. But even the rich, famous, and physically awesome get sick. So regardless of your health or wealth, you must still be prepared for any kind of medical setback and the costs they incur. So that starts with that boring old advice of having an emergency fund and taking advantage of a health savings account if you're eligible for one. HSAs are the only accounts with triple the tax advantages. Contributions are pre-tax, growth is tax-deferred, and withdrawals are tax-free if used for qualified medical expenses. Uh, and it's also crucial to be sufficiently insured. Definitely health insurance, definitely life insurance if you have kids, maybe disability insurance. If you're still working, those may be provided by your employer. I'm sort of an ad hoc member of the benefits team here at The Molly Fool, and I could tell you that there are definitely ways to utilize your insurance and benefits in ways that result in lower out-of-pocket medical expenses. So definitely take some time to learn about your coverage and other benefits. Uh, and finally, I'll just mention the old adage that it's never too late to work on your wealth or your health. A Canadian study published in 2010 found that people over the age of 65 who were physically inactive incurred $1,214 more in healthcare costs each year. Uh, so let's get a little bit more practical here, Allison. What has been most helpful for you in the past getting healthier? Any helpful hacks you'd like to share? 
Mm, I don't know if it's necessarily a helpful hack, but honestly, working from home has been the best thing for me because I have to remove all barriers to exercise in order to do it. So I now wear a business mullet every day. I'm somewhat professional <laughs> on top, but with sweats or black leggings on the bottom. Very nice. um, and I also use the Peloton app, but I use it with a bike that I got from the, from the office. So it's actually pretty cheap every month to do their, um, just their app if you don't have a bike. And I got weights in the basement so I can ride the bike whenever I have 45 minutes in my day. And so now I'm working out every day and probably the fittest I've ever been. What about you, bro? Well, last week I mentioned a great productivity book called Take Back Your Life by Sally McGee and that her research found that uh, if you put something on your calendar, you're 75% more likely to do it. So every day on my calendar at 9, 11, and 1, I get a pop-up that reminds me just to do a little bit of exercise. And within that reminder, I have more than 20 different exercises I could choose from. And just the stuff you would expect, right? Push-ups, sit-ups, wall sits, jump rope, burpees, mountain climbers, bear crawls, light weights, whatever. I choose whatever I feel like doing for 5 to 15 minutes. Now, every time that pops up, I don't always do it, especially if I'm under deadline or something. But having that pop up every day definitely has increased the amount of movement and various exercises that I do. Uh, and also in the past, I've used accountability websites like dietbet.com and stick.com that stick with two Ks. Basically, you put money on the line to meet your goals. You essentially give them money and you lose it if you don't meet your goal. If you do, you get your money back and maybe some of the money other people lost. And that has definitely helped me stick to various exercise and weight goals that I've had in the past. Yeah. Whether you need help tracking what you're eating or something to nudge you to exercise, there's probably an app out there for you that probably also has a free trial. So rather than having to plunk down all that money in the beginning. Well, to close, my mom, a hospice nurse, once tried to cheer up a patient. She said, you're surrounded by so many friends and family that care about you. Isn't that wonderful? And the patient replied, I'd rather have my health. And while that sounds grim, it's actually a popular opinion. A healthier retirement is a happier retirement, at least according to a survey by AgeWave and Merrill Lynch. When retirees were asked about the most important ingredients for a satisfying retirement, 81% said having good health, while 58% said being financially secure, and only 36% said having loving family and friends. I mean, let's face it, you might as well just get a dog. They're way better. <laughs> so health, wealth, and happiness are inextricable. Take care of your health in the coming year, and wealth and happiness are more likely to follow. That's all for today, but coming up tomorrow, a closer look at one of the dominant businesses in the great outdoors, Vail Resorts. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.